Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, wow, what a great morning. What a great time of worship. And welcome back to our series called Battle Plan. I love this series. I'm so excited about this series. Now, the first week we talked about, hey, we're in the middle of a battle. And it's an epic battle that's happening right now. And it's bigger than World War I or World War II, or it's bigger than the war on terror. And it's this battle of good versus evil. And we know this battle is happening. We can feel it in our hearts. We can see it in the world. We can see the struggle that's happening. We can see the evil that's out there. And yet we know that our God is greater. And we know that we have this call to engage in the battle. Now, the first week we talked about the origin of evil. Where does evil come from and, and why does it exist? And, and then last week, Pastor Nick did a great job talking about why does God even allow evil? Why doesn't God just stomp it out. And we, we came to this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 8 and 9, where it talks about, but our God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And that our God will take out evil. We'll see that next week as we talk about eschatology, we talk about the end times. Uh, spoiler alert, our God wins. I mean, it's awesome. I've read the end of the book, you know, so we know what's going to happen, but it's in the meantime that we wait. And our God is patient. He's drawing people to himself. He's inviting people into a relationship with him. He's growing our character. He's molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. And that happens in trouble. And that happens in struggles. And that happens in the hard times. And so God is at work. He's redeeming and restoring. He hasn't forgotten about us. And God will make all things right. So today we're talking about how do we stand <laughs> How do we stand up against evil in the midst of this dark world? How do we fight and engage in this battle as believers, followers of Jesus Christ? Here's what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil's scheme. That's the devil's plan, right? The devil can't get to God. God is sovereign. So the devil goes after God's children. <laughs> Misery loves company. And and the devil knows if he can get us distracted, if he can take us away from God, it's going to break the heart of God. So the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus goes, I am at work. I love you. I care about you. I want the best for you. So how do we stand up against evil in this dark world, in this challenging world, in this challenging time? How do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to unpack this morning as we talk about developing a plan, a plan for the battle. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 19. Our, our focus chapter is actually going to be in Ephesians 6. We're going to unpack the Word of God there in Ephesians 6. But, and you probably may have heard some of Ephesians 6, but I want you to see, first of all, in Acts 19. There's a little-known story. Not, it, people you know, kind of miss this a lot of times, but it is powerful right here in the book of Acts. Now, Acts, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts. Acts stands for the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. And so, pick up here in Acts chapter 19, uh, in verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now, I want to stop there just for a second because I want you to see this. It wasn't Paul doing the miracles. What does it say? It says, God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul. And God uses ordinary people to accomplish his will. And God was doing an amazing work here in the book of Acts, and he was using different people. He's using the apostle Paul here. It's God working through Paul. So God did these extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. 
right? And evil spirits left them. Now, we know evil just didn't exist back then. We still see evil today. But the power of God removing the evil that was there in the world. And God was using this guy, Paul. Now, look at verse 13. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So other people are seeing what's happening, and they're like, wow, that's awesome. We kind of want in on that deal. You know, I mean, <laughs> people are being healed, evil spirits are gone. I mean, there are miracles that are happening. And so it says that some of these other people, they didn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but they knew, hey, we want to stomp out the evil. And so they go, hey, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. We don't have a relationship with God yet through Jesus. We just know that, hey, there's something big happening over here. So in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. All right, so picture the scene here, right? These seven sons are out there trying to cast out this demon under their own power, right? Not under the power of God because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And now the evil spirit talks back. The evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Wow. I bet they're like, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> what's going on here? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You see, what happens so often is we try to fight under our own power. We try to take care of things ourselves. We try to do it without ever calling on God through the name of Christ. And that's what these guys were doing. You know, we're going to make this happen. We're going to do this. And they got a beating. They took a beat down because they were trying to do it on their own, under their own power. And it's through Christ. It's through Christ alone. We can't stand up against evil. Evil is strong. We know that. There are challenges that we face. But it's Christ who is supreme. It's Christ who can conquer. It's Christ through whom we live the victorious life. When the, this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. I think this is powerful, right? You see, when you move into this relationship with God through Christ, what happens in your heart and your life is conviction. You start to look at your life and you go, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> There's some things that aren't in line with God. There's some things that I'm not doing that are right. And I want to live for the glory of God. I don't want to live, you know, half in and half out. I don't want to just live for the things of this world and, and then have a little bit of God. There's conviction that happens in my soul and my spirit. And sometimes there are big convictions that happen. Sometimes your mind is, you know, set on things that you shouldn't. And, and boy, there's pornography and maybe before you rationalized it. But as you draw deeper into God, there's a conviction in your Holy Spirit that says that's not right. I can't live like this. There's, there's a conviction that's evil, that's wrong. Maybe in your life, you know, there's some areas and you're thinking, man, the more I press into God, the more there's conviction that comes. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's working in you. God's refining you. God's refining your character and making you a man or a woman after his heart. And that's what was happening right here. 
A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. As men and women became passionate about Jesus, as men and women began to engage in their culture, in the name of Christ, not just on their own, trying to fight evil and trying to stand up against things that were wrong. It was the power of God. He began to move in their communities. And lives were changed. Let me give you some insight this morning. I want you to think about the war room of hell. The war room, we don't, we don't talk about it a lot. You don't want to talk about the devil's schemes. We kind of, kind of you know, that's all right. We, but, but, but think about this. There is a spiritual battle that's happening. And if you were to picture this morning the war room of hell, think about it like NASA, right? And you got all these screens that are happening, and these demons there, they're running, they're pushing buttons and stuff. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Jesus' picture appears up on the screen and everybody shudders. Ah! Why? Because the Bible says, do you believe in God? Good, even the demons believe in God and shudder. I mean, come on, we know that there's a spiritual battle happening. We know there's something bigger than us out there. But now if they were to type in the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, all of a sudden, whoa, because Paul's doing damage to the kingdom of Satan. But what if in the war room of hell they were to type in our name? And what if they were to type in, you know, Jeff Simmons? Or what if they were to type in your name? What would, what would appear? Your picture would appear, but... But would there be any alarms that would go off? Or would they just say, yeah, okay. Would there would there be like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Danger. These people are dangerous, man. They're, they're praying. They're serving. They're loving. They're making a difference. See, what happens, what happens is this, is when you and I get serious about following Christ, when you and I get serious about our relationship with the Lord, alarms start going off in the war room of hell. And you find yourself under attack. Now, you know this, right? When you come off a great spiritual experience or great worship time, a great time on a mission trip, or you come back and it's like, whoa, what happened? There's a battle. And the first demon that they send is this, is the demon of distraction. The demon of distraction. Have you ever been like, okay, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get my Bible out, and I'm going to read. And what do you do? What happens? What, what happens? You guys know it, right? You sit down, and you start to read, and then you go, oh, wait, 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 wait I forgot about this. And you go, I, I got to go do this. I got to go take care of this, right? Oh, I wonder what's going on on Facebook. You know, like, you know, oh, what? and your kids, they start coming, or, or a friend, you know, calls, or something. Like that. And, and you're going, and next thing you know, you're just, you don't have time, right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, it's distraction. There's a spiritual battle. Satan doesn't want you sitting down and praying and reading the word. And immediately, man, distraction comes, distraction comes. But if you push past that demon, no, 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 no. You push past that demon. Here's the second demon that comes. It's the demon of doubt. The demon of doubt. Now, doubt's not a sin, but what can happen so often, we, oh, God can't do that. I mean, God can't use me. I mean, look at me. I mean, just an ordinary person. I mean, God, God, I mean, God can't heal that marriage. God can't heal my kids. God can't do that. And the doubt comes into your mind, right? These doubt, I mean, God, God can't take care of my boss. God can't provide for me. God can't, I'm in this financial crisis. God can't do that. I've got to do that. I've got to make that happen. And doubt. And the third demon that they send is this, 
a demon of self-worth. It's a demon of self-worth. And you start to get serious about following God. You find your worth, your value in God. And then in your mind, you go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. And your worth starts drifting back to the world. And you get consumed with how many, you know, likes you have and how many people are following you. And you get consumed with, oh, wait a minute, what do I look like? And how my outfit? And, you know, and next thing you know, you're just kind of drifting. Why? Because you're under attack. You push past the demon of distraction, the demon of doubt, and you push past... This demon of self-worth, and the next demon that comes is the demon of worry. <laughs> worry. Oh, no. I, I really can't get serious about God because, I mean, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and, and, and I'm worried. And I know God's calling me to go on a mission trip, but, but, but how am I going to pay for it, and, and how can I be time off? And, and, and I know God wants my kids to go to camp, but, you know, how are we going to make sure and have vacation and everything else around this? And, and I'm going to get worried. I'm worried about it. I'm going to be able to do all these things. And you start to push past that and say, no, 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 Satan, get behind me. I'm living for Jesus. And here's the, here's the demon that comes. It's the demon of fear. You know, what's my family going to think if I really get serious about Jesus? What's my family going to think if I say, hey, guys, we're going to start doing a devotional together. Hey, can we pray together? What if you're, you go to your spouse and say, hey, can we start to pray together? You're like, man, we've never done that. What, what's she going to think? What's he going to think? What are they going to think if I say, hey, I want to get involved in the small group? What are, they gonna, what are people going to think? And the fear starts to come over you. And you're going, well, I don't. And Satan the whole time is just trying to draw you away. Why? It's a battle. We're in a battle. And we don't realize it. The apostle Paul realized it. And God, working through him, did extraordinary miracles. And so the apostle Paul says, hey, guys, Listen. You're called to live it. You're called to live for the glory of God. And when you do that, God will do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. But you hang on to him and you trust him. So Paul writes to us over in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. He says, this is how you live it. And God was working through him and he writes to this church in Ephesus. He goes, Hey, 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 here's the spiritual battle. Here's what's happening. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now notice that, right? Are you fighting the battle in your own power? Are you fighting the battle in the Lord's power? Your, your call isn't to solve all the problems. Your call is to hold on to the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now when the Apostle Paul is writing this, the Jews were under the submission of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had literally conquered the world. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing and saying, put on the full armor of God, in his mind he's picturing a Roman foot soldier. And these guys were unbelievable. Man, you, you back watch movies, right? And the Roman legions. And it, they had literally conquered the world, the Romans. And they did it because of their foot soldiers. And the foot soldiers were armed. They were well trained. They were well prepared. They had a battle plan for every battle they engaged in. But they were covered in armor. And that was something that the rest of the armies hadn't seen, right? They couldn't compete with the armor that the Romans had. And so he says, hey, you put on the full armor of God. You're in a battle. 
against the devil's schemes, right? The devil's schemes of the, of the distractions and the doubt and the worry and the fear. That's the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, think about it, right? We're in a spiritual battle that, that's not just, hey, I can see it. It happens in the heavenly realms. And sometimes when you get in an argument with your spouse, you get in an argument with somebody at work, and, and you're going, man, there's more happening here. This is weird. Why has this deal become such a big deal? Why is there division here? Why? I don't understand this. Right? Well, you're in a bigger battle. You're in a bigger struggle. So he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand, stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand and then verse 14, he starts to list the armor. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So when you think about the armor of God, the first thing he talks about is the belt of truth. Now for a Roman soldier, man, when they put the belt on, that kept their, you know, they had the skirts that they wore back then, right? And they kept that in place, but it also held your sword. This was important. And so they put the belt on, and he says, you guys, as believers, we are in the army of God. Put on the armor, and the first is the belt. And he says the belt of truth. We live in a day where people say, oh, there's no absolute truth. We live in a day of moral relativism, right? If it feels good for you, just do it. You know, whatever you believe, that's fine. You know, if you believe what you want to believe, and you, you know, I'll believe what I want to believe, and we kind of go at it like that. And yet, that's so far from the truth. The truth is that there is truth in this world. There has to be. There's truth. There's the truth of the laws of gravity. I don't care if you don't believe it. You're still going to get hurt if you fall off this building. You may say it doesn't exist, but it exists. There are truths about your relationship with God. There are truths about your relationship with one another. There are truths about the way the world works. And we can put new names on it. We can say, well, it's really not an affair. It's just a, a moral, you know, indiscretion. I mean, you know, I just, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it. You can do whatever you want to, but the fact of the matter is there is truth, and it's wrong. And he says, know what the Word of God says and know the truth. Put on the belt of truth. The second thing he says is, hey, put on the breastplate of righteousness and put it in place. Now, for a Roman soldier, they have this breastplate right here. And so when they're in the battle and they're getting hit with the sword, it's not getting through. It protected them. And he says, you as a believer should be protected with the breastplate of righteousness. The Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And you have to guard your heart. I have to guard my heart. That I am who God says I am. And my heart can so easily fall into love with the things of the world. And no, I've got to be righteous. You see, character is who you are when no one is watching. Character is who you are when no one is watching. You are covered with the breastplate of righteousness. The third, he says, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What made Roman soldiers were so great when you go back and study history is, is they had these, the foot gear that they could travel hundreds and hundreds of miles and go and conquer places so far away that other armies never would have been able to do it. And he says, as a foot soldier, as a soldier of Christ, that our shoes are fitted with the gospel of peace. 
It says in Isaiah, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So when you walk into a situation, do you bring peace? When you walk into your home, do you bring peace? Do you bring peace into your marriage? Do you bring peace into your workplace? Do you bring peace into your neighborhood? That's a call. We are ambassadors of Christ. He keeps going. He says, in addition, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, you've seen movies, right? When the archers are up there, the Roman soldiers, they get down behind their shields, and they just, boom, let the flaming arrows hit, and then they advance. See, the shield of faith for us as believers, I know who I am. I know what God can do. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That we know that God will win. And we have the faith that God can heal. We have the faith that God can redeem. We have the faith that God can restore. Hebrews 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. Ordinary men and women who live their lives for the glory of God. The faith. And then he says, take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Roman soldiers would put on that helmet, right, to protect their head in the battle from the arrows, from the swords. And you and I, every day, putting on that helmet of salvation. Put it on. I'm saved. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can snatch me out of the hand of a God who loves me, who's redeemed me, who's restored me. God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm walking in that. I'm living in that truth. Now, if you notice, all of these are kind of defensive, right? The breastplate, the belt, the helmet, the shield. But now he starts to get into a couple of offensive ones. He says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A Roman soldier, man, their sword, it was defensive, but it was also offensive. Conquered a lot of people. And the sword of a believer, of a follower of Christ is the sword. It's the Word of God. I was growing up, we had sword drill. I don't know if anybody else had that. Ready? Present Bibles, you know. And we, we would try to find scriptures quickly. But we were learning and growing. And that's why it's so important if you're a parent that your, your kids are in preschool and children and student ministry, that they're learning the Word of God, that they're having a foundation, that they're growing in their faith, but they're growing in the truth. See, the Word of God will not return void. And when you preach the Word, when you speak the Word, when you share a scripture in your family or you share a scripture at work, it doesn't come back void. It tells us in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Have you ever noticed that about God's word? You can read one passage of scripture and you're like, okay. And then sometimes you're in a place in life and you read it and you go, whoa. Wow. That's like God just speaking to me. That was written just to me. That. How does God know what's going on in my mind? How does God know what's going on in my heart? The Word of God is living. It's active. And then the last one, he says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. And the power of prayer, the power of prayer to demolish strongholds. I don't know if you've seen the movie War Room yet. Powerful movie. But the power of prayer, the power of a praying parent, the power of a praying husband, the power of a praying father, the power of a praying mother, the power of, of a praying co-worker, the power of prayer. 
You have access to God. You don't fight on your own. This is the Holy Spirit working through you. So how's your prayer life? How are you praying? What are you praying about? With this in mind, Paul says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Here's, here's the incredible part. right? The, the, the Roman army succeeded because they had intense loyalty to Caesar, their God. They had intense loyalty to one another. They knew they had their back. And you and I, we are the body of Christ. And that's why it's so important for you to, to join a church. It's so important for you to lock arms with other believers. We need the accountability. We need also the encouragement. We need to be there for one another. That's what I love about what God's doing at Rolling Hills. God is raising up a mighty army of people who are passionate about our God and our King. And God is calling us to lock arms together and serve Him together in this world. That's how we advance. That's why Paul was so passionate about planting churches where believers would come together. You know, if you're a soldier but you're not in the army, you're going to get destroyed. We need each other. There's power in that. And then Paul says, pray also for me. I love that. The Apostle Paul says, pray for me. Do you ask people to pray for you? Sometimes we go, no, I got it all together. I can handle it. I know it's hard. It's still, uh, but I'm going to man up and fight for it. Ask people to pray for you. It's okay. The Apostle Paul says, hey, please pray for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words will be given me so that I will, look at that, fearlessly Make known the mystery of the gospel. What's that last demon that comes? Demon of fear. Paul says, push past that. That I will fearlessly, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You say, hey, would you pray for me? Pray that I will proclaim the word of God fearlessly in my home. Pray that I would be passionate about Jesus. Pray that I won't give in to fear and worry and doubt distraction in my life. Pray that I would stay strong in the Lord. As many of you know, I just returned yesterday from uh, the Amazon. Um, about six years ago as a church, we started a, a nonprofit called Justice and Mercy International. And, and so many of you, I mean, you've been on mission trips and we've all together uh, are making a difference for God's glory. But about five years ago, we started a pastor's conference for pastors in the Amazon. And these guys are in the deep jungle. I'm talking about there's one guy, Diago, who he's rode, he rode his canoe, you know, seven days to be at this conference. He's still going, right? We finished on Friday. He's, he's heading home in his canoe. And I'm like, wow, we got people who say, I don't want to drive 25 minutes in my air-conditioned car to go to church. You know, it's like, it's a whole different world, right? I mean, it's just crazy. And so here's this guy. There's a guy from Venezuela, man. He was 3,000 kilometers away. And, uh, you know, get up at 4 in the morning and start driving because gas in Venezuela, I guess, is only 3 cents a gallon. Who knew that? Wow. And so I learned so many things there. And, I mean, his wife would feed him while he drove. He'd drive to 7 p.m., sleep in their car. And, I mean, four days, five days it took them to get there. But they were there. And we're there on the middle in the John Paxson, the center that we own, church, right, through JMI. We, we own a center in the middle of the Amazon. Who would have ever dreamed that? Uh, how crazy. And we got pastors coming from all over. And these jungle pastors are coming up there to be trained. And so for a week, we've been teaching the Word of God. I mean, we walked through the book of Nehemiah. We've walked through the book of Jonah. We were teaching them about preaching. We were teaching them about children's ministry and youth ministry. So they can go back to their villages and leading people to Christ and transforming the Amazon. 
it's nuts. It, but you guys, they're living in the middle of spiritual warfare, and their eyes are like wide open to it. I was talking to this one pastor. He said, you know, Jeffy, it's, a, it's amazing. He said, my dad, my dad was a witch doctor. And he said, growing up, he said, our whole family, that's just kind of been our life. And my dad, when I was young, I mean, it was scary. He, he would beat us. He said, you know, he did stuff to us. And he said, but there were people in our village who started praying for my dad. And there was these people who prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally, he said, my teenage years, my dad accepted Christ. And he became a believer. And he said, I saw such a transformation in my dad. And instead of beating us and yelling at us and doing the stuff he did, now he's like, he wanted to love us and he wanted to talk to us. And he said, I'm a pastor today because there was a transformation in my dad's life. And I saw that and I wanted that. And I want other people to know that. Wow. And this guy's led like his whole village to Christ. He's pastoring this church in this place. And I'm thinking, man, the power of prayer to change and transform. We went to this one village, and there was a whole family there. And we talked and prayed. The whole, the whole household gave their lives to Christ. And I was just thinking, what a transformation's happening in the middle of the Amazon. In the last day of the pastor's conference, this older pastor, he's 89 years old. 89 years old. He lives in Manaus. He's planted half of the churches in Manaus. And he comes out to the pastor's conference, and he goes up the 98 steps, and it, it's a long way. They get up here to the top of where the, the John Pack Center is, the center we have there in the Amazon. And, and he comes in, and here he is at 89, and he just starts to weep. And he's crying. I mean, there's about 120 of us gathered in this place and worshiping and studying the Word of God together. And, and I said, are you okay? You know, and he's like... I have been praying for years, for years, for years that God would raise up people in the Amazon to tell others about Jesus. He goes, I can't believe my eyes. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And I'm so excited. He goes, I just wish I was in my 70s again so I could be more involved. <laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I think people in their 70s in America are like, see, we're on the beach, you know? And I mean, this guy's like... <laughs> I want to be more involved, you know? I mean, this is 89, and I thought, man, I want to live my life like that. I want to live my life all of my days for the glory of God. And church, you are making a difference. There was a mission aviation. They just bought a new plane, and for three years, they've been studying all the Amazon and looking at all the unreached people groups. And they put up maps about places that were unreached, and all these pastors there were like, we're going to take that village. We're going to go there. We're going to share the love of Christ. We can walk to that village. It's only like a seven-hour walk, but we can get there to that place. And I was thinking, wow. But they were getting a plan. And so, church, what, what's our plan? What's your plan? What is your battle plan? What is, what is your plan to share Christ in your home? What is your plan to, to raise up a family that loves Jesus that raises up a family that impacts generations. Some of you, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, you're like a first-generation believer. You've given your heart and your life to Christ, and you didn't have that modeled for you. But now what you're doing is you're changing your whole family tree from one of fear and worry and anxiety to one of faith and trust and love. And you are having a huge impact. And so have a plan, right? One of the pastors, they were the last day we were talking, and we said, what have you learned? He said, I've just learned so much. I've taken so many notes. But the biggest thing I learned is that, is that there's people who love us. 
There's people who haven't forgotten us. What's your plan to love? What's your plan to love your family well? What's your plan to love the people around you well? What's your plan to reach your neighborhood or your apartment complex for Christ? These guys are looking at villages around them, and I'm thinking, what about us in our neighborhoods? What about us in our community? How are we going to share the love of Christ with Middle Tennessee? What's God calling us to do? There's the four P's of the plan, right? Pray. Just start to pray. God, what do you want me to accomplish in my life? God, you do an extraordinary work through me. God, for your name and for your glory. The second is to prepare. Every morning when you wake up, suit up. Don't just go in and pick out clothes to wear and spend all your time looking through all your closets and what am I going to wear today? What is it going to look like? You know, go in and say, okay, this morning I, I got to put on the belt of truth. I got to put it on, right? I got to cover my heart in the breastplate of righteousness. I got to know what's coming in here. Yeah, I got to put my feet. I got to have a gospel of peace when I walk in to work. When I walk in and have that first conversation of the day, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to take up that shield of faith. I'm going to put on that helmet of salvation. I'm going to know the word of God. I'm going to pray today. The third P, right? Protect. Protect. Take captive every thought that comes in your mind. The battle is here and the battle is here. Just protect your mind. Protect what comes into your mind. Protect what comes into your heart. Mike Mentor, he's the pastor of Reston Bible Church. Been the pastor 42 years, right outside of Washington, D.C. And he was there. He said, you know, so often we you know, commit a sin, and then we go, what was I thinking? He said, the bigger question is, what am I thinking? You know, what am I thinking now? Start to protect, and then, hey, progress. Guys, men and women, this is our time to go forward in Christ. God put the Apostle Paul back in his day, in his generation. God put David back in his day. This is our day. This is our time. And we get one shot at it. Will we advance the gospel Will we push forward fearlessly? Will we say, you know what, God, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've messed up a lot. But God, I want to go forward in you. And whatever God's calling you to do, do it. Trust him. Follow him. Hold on to him. Everything you have in you. Last day we went to a village. um, We saw Clarinia. Clarinia is a woman who's become very special to us. She's in her 30s. She has cerebral palsy. She sits in a a wooden hut all day in this village. A couple years ago, we bought her a wheelchair. So now when we went there, she was sitting up in her wheelchair. Last year, we built a boardwalk that connected her home to the church. Her mom works tirelessly, takes care of Clarinia, but Clarinia has just a smile on her face and and takes her down the boardwalk and people in the whole village. And this year, as we were talking to Clarinia, we could just tell that something was bothering her. He said, what's going on, Clarinia? And she said, I, I just, I, I'm still angry at God. I'm still angry that I have cerebral palsy and I, I want to do more and I feel like I, I can't. One of the people on our team, it was just the power of the Holy Spirit speaking. She said, you know what you can do, Clarinia? You can become a woman of prayer. And you can start to pray for the people here in your village and and that what if people started to come to you and say, wow, Clarina, when she prays for me, man, something happens. And Clarina, you can start to pray for us back in the States. You can pray for our church. You can pray for the people at our church. You can pray that we would proclaim the Christ clearly and fearlessly. You can pray that we would be on task. Hey, we will be your hands and feet. We will be your mouthpieces in the States. We will share the love of Christ throughout the world. You just pray. And she lit up. God's given her assignment. And she is praying for you. 
You've got a woman in the jungle in the Amazon who's praying for you. And she's praying for your family. And she's praying that you and I would live our lives for Jesus. See, I, I don't know where you are today. But I know this. I know that God is here. And I know that God is for you. And I know that Satan wants to draw us away from God because God has come that we might have a great marriage, that we might have great kids, that we might live our lives for the glory of God, that we might advance the gospel in our day and our time and our generation. Where are you? Where are you in the battle? What's your plan? Do you have a vision from God for your life? I want to invite you just to bow your heads and pray just for a moment. What is your plan to grow spiritually? What is your plan to, to have a great marriage? Maybe now or maybe in the future. What's your plan to raise kids who love Jesus? What's your plan to impact the world for Christ? And not just make life about you. What's your plan? Father God, we know that you are here today. And I pray, oh God, you would search our hearts. <laughs> Father, we confess that, and I confess, Father, it's so easy to get caught up in the things of this world and just to drift away from you. But I pray today, God, draw us back to you. Remind us of what's really important. Remind us of what's going to last. I thank you, God, for these jungle pastors who just love you. Many in villages without running water or electricity, but they're proclaiming Christ. And they're seeing miracles happen. And Father, you have given us so much. And I pray, God, you would find us faithful to investing our lives in your plan and in your purpose. God, don't let us miss it. Oh, God, please. Father, thank you for Christ who redeems and restores us. Father, we're yours. As you send us into battle, Father, we're yours. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen. I just want to... I want us to continue to worship our worship teams here. Let's stand together and I'm going to ask some of our A6 guys to move to the sides. If you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you this morning, hey, would you just kind of go? These are spiritual leaders and they're going to be out there. There's some couples that are out there as well. Maybe you want somebody to pray over your marriage. Maybe you want somebody just to pray over you. Maybe, maybe man, you've been discouraged. Maybe things have been hard. Maybe you're fighting a battle in your own life. Don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. Come, come to one of these on the side. And while we worship, just say, hey, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? There is power in prayer. And there's power when the body of Christ prays. Maybe you want to use this altar. But let's respond right now to our God.